I love Jared Allen. Fear the frog. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cavalier, an NBA podcast hosted by me, Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. I think I said it last week during the Fear the Fro Thanksgiving special, but I am thankful to each and every one of you who joined me. A couple of you sent me messages saying that I somehow made it into your Spotify podcast list, which seems all but impossible to me, being that I've only been doing this podcast for something like 20 episodes or so since early August during the beginning of the free agency period because I knew, I think deep down I knew, as I was choosing the name for the Fear the Fro podcast, I feel like I deserve some residual credit for the play of our man Jared Allen, who we re-signed to a five-year deal at $100 million, and even I myself was skeptical at the figures that were on that deal. But since returning from injury, Jared Allen is putting up just obscene numbers, averaging 22 points a game, 13 rebounds a game, 1.8 blocks a game, and shooting a blistering 73% from the field. He's 43 of 59 since coming back from injury, and along with that return has been Cavalier win streak number two. We're on a little bit of a tear here. Yes, we went on a five-game skid, but that's all turned around now. After beating up on the injured Heat, after beating up on a perfectly healthy Dallas Mavericks squad, and after beating up on the hapless Orlando Magic, we head into our next game against the Washington Wizards, looking for vengeance against one of those losses we had early in the year that clearly could have gone either way. It was one of those games we left on the table, but a win we could have had. And now, as it sits, the Cleveland Cavaliers presently are number six in the Eastern Conference. After winning these three games, they find themselves just above the play-in section of the standings, which includes the Atlanta Hawks, the Boston Celtics, the Charlotte Hornets, and the New York Knicks. The Charlotte Hornets have lost three games in a row now. So despite an absolutely incredible performance from LaMelo Ball tonight, 36 points, 9 assists, 8 three-pointers, however, 7 turnovers. So they lose the game in the end, 127-125 to the Milwaukee Bucks. But I am not upset about that. Sorry you left one in the loss column. However, now the Cleveland Cavaliers are right behind the Miami Heat, who based on the news today, that they lost Bam at a bio and Jimmy Butler missed this game with a tailbone contusion. However, it's probably better because in addition to a bruised tailbone, we would have torn him a new asshole. But instead, he gets to sit out and Kyle Lowry leading the Miami Heat along with Tyler Hero and Struess of all people. Max Struess had a good game, but it was not nearly enough because in the interior, the Cleveland Cavaliers got absolutely anything they wanted Jared Allen, as I said, tremendous outing today, but he was not the only one. Evan Mobley, 17 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 block shots. Jared Allen, 19 points, 11 rebounds. Reserve big man Kevin Love, 6 for 8 from 3-point land. 22 points, 6 rebounds, 2 steals, a block, 3 assists, a hyper-efficient 6 for 9 from the floor, and he did it in 21 minutes of action. This truly was Kevin Love's best game, in my opinion. In the first half, he was 5 for 6 from 3-point land, had 17 points. 
finished the game with 22. We didn't need much from him in the second half because the game was already effectively over. The Cavs were up big at halftime, a 18-point lead, and it just got worse from there. They didn't lose a single quarter this game. At one point, the lead was as large as 31 points. There was not much in the way of anything going well for the Miami Heat today. Tyler Hero, while he did score very inefficiently, 9 for 23 from the floor, shot below 40%, and just 2 of 7 from the three-point line. Duncan Robinson, however, we need to spend a moment on Duncan Robinson. These three-point marksmen across the NBA have signed some very large deal. Davis Bertans with the Wizards, $80 million deal. Joe Harris, $80 million deal. Joe Harris, of course, is hurt. Patty Mills, on a veteran minimum, is performing just as well, honestly, from three-point land. He is scoring 20 points regularly and being that third option in the offense behind Harden and Durant that they are looking for while Kyrie Irving is on his little uh, hiatus here. But back to the point, Duncan Robinson tonight put up nearly a perfect stat line in the reverse order. 0 for 7 from the floor. 0 for 6 from three-point land. No rebounds, no assists, no points, but he had to screw it up with one steal. He would have put up the perfect goose egg, but instead we'd have robbed of that 20 minutes of just putrid basketball from the $90 million man. And Max Struess, four for eight from the floor, two three-pointers, he looked much better than Duncan Robinson in this game, and that is a scrap heap guy who simply fills rotation minutes playing some very good basketball for them. Kyle Lowry, not very good tonight. Two of nine from the floor. Only scored seven points. And Dwayne Dedman, despite doing good work on the boards, he did have 13 rebounds. He was fairly ineffective tonight because the front line of the Cavaliers just had their way. Jarrett Allen, I can't say enough how incredible it is to see the basketball that he's strung together. And I don't want to be reactionary, but I feel like we have a big enough sample that we can draw some conclusions from what we're seeing from this Cleveland Cavalier team. Now, as it sits right now, the Cleveland Cavaliers are the fourth best defense in the NBA. The only teams playing better defense than them are the Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns, who clearly look like the class of the NBA at this moment, and the LA Clippers. Their net rating, however, when you factor in both offense and defense. The Cavs are considerably worse on offense than they are on defense. Now, they're not bad. They're the 21st offense in the NBA, according to offensive rating. But that puts them in as the ninth best team in terms of net rating. Remarkable improvement over the previous season. Last season, the Cleveland Cavaliers finished the 28th team in the NBA. Only two teams were worse. The Orlando Magic and the Oklahoma City Thunder. And as far as defensively, last year's Cleveland Cavalier team ranked near the bottom of the league, 25th. Now they're fourth. Offensively, you would look at our team and you wouldn't think that there would be a big leap, but the difference between being 28th in the league last year and 21st, as it stands right now, certainly has produced a lot more wins. And that 21st is without Colin Sexton. Just imagine how much more room to grow this offense will have when Colin Sexton is involved again. Based on this three-game sample in the front court here, there's not a better feeling than watching a guy who I had my trepidation about his contract. Five years for $100 million seemed like an expensive contract for a position who now, in today's day and age, just traditionally doesn't get that much money. But $20 million in three or four years is going to look very good if Jared Allen keeps this up. Because... He's going to be in the all-star game in Cleveland at this pace. Without Sexton 
in this lineup. Certainly the Cavs have their issues, and and they need Colin Sexton. He will help the offense overall. They need a dynamic scorer like him. He certainly would be a luxury at this point. Right now, we're seeing a lot of that fall on Kevin Love, and Lowry Markkinen is starting to heat up, although he did have a bad game tonight. But if there is a silver lining to Sexton being out of the lineup, it's that the Cavs have had to turn to Jared Allen to produce a lot more scoring. And part of that is because Garland is so excellent at using penetration to create lob opportunities for both Allen and Mobley. But another part of that is because without the isolations that we see Colin Sexton create on a regular basis, we're getting a much more pick-and-roll-centric offense, and that has helped Jared Allen immeasurably. So when Colin Sexton comes back, it will be interesting to see how they reincorporate him into the offense in a way that doesn't diminish a lot of this positive momentum we've gained with Jared Allen. And I'm hoping that Sexton is observing all this and seeing and learning different ways which he might be able to exploit his tremendous scoring ability to create some of these easy looks for these new elite lob threat big men that we've put in place around him and around Darius Garland and Rubio, assuming Rubio's here beyond this season. That's yet to be seen. But coupled with this Allen surge, is Lowry Markkinen starting to look like he might be rounding back into a form more reminiscent of his previous seasons? And while his overall three-point percentage hasn't climbed up to 40% yet, he is still extremely effective on left corner threes, shooting 46% before tonight, 46.2% before tonight from the left corner. So when we find ways to get the ball movement going, which... Garland and Rubio have been excellent at. Now, Rubio is struggling these last few. Very quiet games. His field goal percentage hasn't been good all year. But Darius Garland has been able to pick up a lot of the slack to the point where, as this season wears on, in Colin Sexton's initial absence, we were seeing a lot more of a balance between the two. And because Garland was banged up for a little period of time, too, we saw Rubio have to assert himself more offensively. Lately, what we're seeing is Darius Garland looks supremely confident, and Ricky Rubio looks to be struggling a little bit with the confidence in his shot. But it really hasn't mattered in terms of these last few games because the front court has been so dominant that it has put them in situations where they won these games fairly handily. Of course, the last two were complete blowouts, and even in the Orlando game, we got a very good game out of the front court. Evan Mobley, in his first game back after his injury, 13 points, Nine rebounds, four blocks. In the game against the Mavericks, 12 points, seven rebounds, two blocks. And then tonight, tonight's third quarter from Evan Mobley, a perfect third quarter. Cavs were already up big. He comes out in the third quarter, delivers a 15-point, four-rebound quarter where he didn't miss a single shot. Two for two from three, five for five from the floor, and not a single turnover. Evan Mobley's ability, and Jared Allen for that matter, to contest shots, to alter shots, but to do it without getting in foul trouble is tremendous. The way they complement one another, I don't think anyone could have asked for anything more. And anyone who's on Cavs Twitter or Reddit, they spent the whole summer warding off advances from other fan bases, assuming that because the Cavaliers drafted Evan Mobley, that they would sell off Jared Allen for 10 cents on the dollar. Instead, They gave him a $100 million contract, took somewhat of a beating there, but Kobe Altman has to be feeling pretty good because pretty much everything he's done is working to a different degree. Now, Evan Mobley 
that's the shining star of the summer for him. But Jared Allen is a close second. That's a 1A, 1B situation. Ricky Rubio has proven to be very effective and valuable for the Cavs, especially considering something none of us could have predicted, which is Colin Sexton going down with the injury. But finally, Lowry Markinen being added was met with derision. People did not like Larry Nance being traded, and they certainly didn't like paying a lot of money to a guy who was a restricted free agent who seemingly his own team didn't even want. So I myself question the move because of how deep we were in the front court, but I will say I simply had not spent enough time watching Lowry Markinen because, albeit tonight, it didn't feel comfortable watching him have to try to defend Tyler Hero in isolation. In general, I think he's been extremely effective and far more athletic than I ever anticipated, both in putting the ball on the floor in the offensive end and proving that he's a fairly versatile defender who's been able to recover fairly well and stay in front of people more than I expected that he would be able to. If I was thinking that he was just some stiff, finish, white guy, outside shooter who didn't have much more to his offensive game, I was wrong. He has plenty of floor game within him. And while we're praising frontcourt play, I do think a shout-out needs to go to Lamar Stevens because tonight he put forth a great showing in his own right. 12 points, 5 for 9 from the floor, but 14 blocks from the team. 14 blocks, and he chipped in with two of those blocks. The front court of the Cavaliers was smothering. Five blocks from Jared Allen, four blocks from Evan Mobley. Okoro had one. Kevin Love had one. Lamar Stevens had two, and even Ed Davis got a garbage time block of his own in just three minutes of action. So this Cleveland Cavalier team is gelling at the right time because they still have a fairly tough stretch of games on their schedule as we approach, well, December 8th. December 8th is when they take on the Bulls. That, to me, is kind of when this schedule breaks. But in the next four games, they face the Wizards, they face the Jazz, they face the Bucks, and they face the Bulls. And then after that, we see it lighten up a little bit. The Timberwolves get in there. The Kings get in there. We'll get a game against the Hawks, who are hit and miss. We'll play the Raptors. We'll play the Rockets. We get the Celtics again. We get the Heat again. The Heat, by that point, should probably be somewhat healthy, but they won't have Bam Adebayo. And the one thing the Heat can be exploited on is size in the front court. Having to play Deadman and Tucker against this Cavalier front line, I feel fairly confident that the Cleveland Cavaliers can hang with a team that is missing their big man in the middle in Miami. Now, there's no better way to celebrate the return of our dominant front court and the way that we've bucked this trend of small ball and are instead leaning into giant, giant basketball with seven-footers everywhere than to celebrate how the rookie of the year this year seems to be dominated by two front court players. Evan Mobley, of course, being the front runner amongst most people, but a close 1B would be Scotty Barnes. You can't really go wrong with either guy as the rookie of the year. Their numbers are nearly identical. These are two guys who are averaging roughly 15 points, eight rebounds. Scotty Barnes is shooting a little bit better from three. He's about 35% to Evan Mobley's 31 or 32%. Uh, but Evan Mobley, of course, blocks more shots. And advanced analytics-wise, Evan Mobley has a slight edge. Now, by no means is Scotty Barnes a bad defender. But amongst rookies right now, who play more than 20 minutes a game, he has the ninth best defensive rating. Whereas Evan Mobley is the only rookie, clearly number one, the only rookie below a 100 defensive rating. He currently sits at 99.6. The next closest rookie, Chris Duarte, and the injured Jalen Suggs, third. 
And fourth, standout defensive rookie Herb Jones down in New Orleans. On the other side of the ball, that's where Scotty Barnes is shining. And that's not to say he's a bad defender because, again, like I said, he's top 10 amongst rookies for defensive rating. But on offensive rating, Scotty Barnes is number one. Evan Mobley coming in fourth behind Chris Duarte, Herb Jones. So it's really kind of a what do you prefer? Counting stats-wise, Scotty Barnes has a slight edge. Averages a little bit more in the way of points, a little bit more in the way of rebounds. Shoots roughly the same percentages, but he's been better from three. Gets more steals. Evan Mobley, a dominant shot blocker. Still extremely efficient in his own regard. And analytically, he is a defensive darling. Plus, his team is just better. And if all things end at the end of the year with these guys both putting up 15 and 8 and basically being mirror images of one another in advanced metrics, then the nod is going to go to Evan Mobley. For no other reason than the Cleveland Cavaliers appear primed to have a better season than the Toronto Raptors. Now, I freely admit, before the season, Jalen Green was who I expected to win Rookie of the Year. Cade Cunningham is picking up steam, so he could make up some ground in this debate. But with Jalen Suggs going down for an injury and Cole Anthony absolutely thriving in his second year with the Magic, he simply may not get enough usage in that offense to be able to overtake the lead that Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes seem to have opened up. It's a long season. I realize only a quarter of it has passed where it's not over. But as of right now, similar to how the Golden State Warriors and Phoenix Suns have opened up a sizable gap in the Western Conference, that is the way it feels with Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes and this Rookie of the Year competition. Now, in addition to that award, there is another piece of hardware that the Cavaliers may find themselves involved with at the end of the year, and that is GM of the Year. Because Kobe Altman certainly has made a strong case, at least in the early portion of this season, with the maneuvers that he's made. In the end, the team has to be one of the best teams in basketball, probably for him to win that award. But if you look at the four components of offseason, draft, re-signings, free agency, and trades, he knocked it out of the park on three of those. The Rubio trade looks excellent. The Markinen trade looks like it's a definitive win. The Jared Allen extension, even though the jury was out initially, I think that's proving to be a very valuable extension. If you look what he's giving the Cleveland Cavaliers at $20 million versus the other $20 million players that signed deals this summer, clearly he's the most impactful guy. And in the draft, if you end up with the best rookie and you pick third overall, certainly tip your hat to that guy. And speaking of people who deserve respect, I want to circle back around to Kevin Love because it is truly one of my favorite activities is going back to the early portion of this podcast, which has only existed for a handful of months and listening to expectations before the season versus where we've arrived now. We spoke last week, and by we, I mean me. I don't know why I keep referring to myself like I'm some plural entity, but Osman has totally changed the narrative on him this season. He's been tremendous. Another guy who has been tremendous in regards to expectations, and the truth lies somewhere in between here, because if you were to look, statistically speaking, at Kevin Love, he's not blowing anything out of the water this year. He's averaging 10 points and 8 rebounds which is roughly in line with what he did last year. He's doing it in five less minutes a game. His percentages aren't great. He's shooting 30% from three-point land. He's shooting 39% from the floor. Certainly, that's pretty bad. But to those of us watching the game, it seems far greater than that. 
because we've had such unreliability off the bench to move him into a role where the expectations have been much less and for him to be a consummate professional in doing that. He hasn't caused any problems, at least not any that have been reported in the locker room. And his presence in that second unit has allowed us to get more consistent showings over the course of the game to the point where in the offseason, we were talking about how little we needed Osman or Kevin Love, and now they have become critical parts of this bench unit, along with Ricky Rubio, to the point where the Cavs truly now can consistently go eight or nine deep, and you feel good about every guy that they put out on the floor versus last year, besides just being decimated by injuries. I had little to no faith in the bench unit that the Cavs would roll out. But to roll out veterans like Rubio and Kevin Love and even Markin and getting a lot of time with that second unit, they look tremendously better this year. And if Osman, even if Osman regresses in his three-point shooting, which you almost would think that he has to, he's playing so much better alongside Rubio because there's so much more confined expectations in terms of what his role should be with that second unit. So all in all, this is always going to be the way that it is when I come on here after a dominant victory. And after coming on after two dominant victories, I'm insufferable to anyone who's not a fellow Cleveland Cavalier fan. But coming out of the game tonight, I feel tremendous about the way that this team has been constructed. And Altman deserves a lot of credit for that, as does J.B. Bickerstaff, because They went in a way which is very untraditional in leaning into this front court. And with each passing game, the continuity and the chemistry between Mobley and Jared Allen and Darius Garland grows and grows. And certainly there'll be some growing pains when the Cavs reintegrate Sexton. But just knowing that a team that is probably going to be too good to land in the lottery this year is going to be supplemented by yet another year of development with another first-round pick and essentially free money in Colin Sexton coming back into the lineup. The sky is the limit for this Cleveland Cavalier team. So I look forward to hammering the Wizards and making Kyle Kuzma eat crow in the next game. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up former Kyle Kuzma teammate LeBron James. Recently, he had that dust up with beef stew in Detroit, Isaiah Stewart, where he punched him in the face accidentally, maybe not accidentally, who's to say, but either way, Isaiah Stewart lost his mind and got suspended. I mean, LeBron can't take a shit without getting criticism for it. So there were people in the media, (laughs) Stephen A. Smith, who decided to take a run at LeBron and how talk about how nobody feared him, but people feared Michael Jordan and draw out all the same old tropes from older generation was tougher and people feared Michael Jordan and He did this on television with J.J. Redick. And for those of you who haven't heard J.J. Redick's podcast, Old Man and the Three, it's awesome. He has NBA players on all the time. And because he was a fellow NBA player, they're fairly candid. And they tell some interesting stories. Some of my favorite episodes include, well, there's one in particular that I was thinking of today. And that's the Udonis Haslam appearance, where he talks about the time that he bloodied Tyler Hansborough for taking a cheap shot at Dwayne Wade and he responded in kind and it was just uh, it, it brought back memories of that play because I had largely forgot it but also it was nice just to humanize some of these guys who you pretty much don't think of outside of the few times you see them on the court and Haslam has been with the Heat forever seemingly the oldest man in the history of basketball 
but an interesting interview. And J.J. Redick is not only a very intelligent basketball player, but an excellent podcast host, completely independent of what he provided on the basketball court. He's just a good listen. And when he was on with Stephen A. Smith, he pushed back. Now, I think that audio bears playing, so I'm going to throw it in here, and then I'll discuss it. Now, here's Stephen A. using that incident with Isaiah Stewart to somehow turn it into an indictment of LeBron James because MJ is much more feared, and nobody would ever dare do that to him. You didn't mess with MJ. You didn't come at MJ like that. You didn't do stuff like that. With LeBron, you believe you, you can take him. You believe he can be had. When it came to MJ... In the 90s, there was just a level of fear from what I was told that he had instilled in opponents where you saw cats getting in his face, coming at folks and stuff like that. They wouldn't think about doing that with Jordan. This is not an issue about respect for LeBron. I'm talking fear factor. Fear factor. That's just not something that has ever been associated with him. Of course, I disagree with this. But J.J. Redick heard Stephen A. Smith drag out the tired old Uh, MJ would never do this thing and responded in this way. We collectively as a society have damn near tried everything to somehow discredit or dismantle LeBron's legacy. And all that guy has done is win break records. There's a certainly a level of respect, but for the fear factor, if you get into a playoff series with LeBron, you're certainly fearful of who he is as a player. Physically, I took a charge on LeBron my fifth year in Orlando. I caught his spin move perfectly. I ended up with 11 stitches under my eye. And was I standing there in fear? Abso-fucking-lutely. Abso-fucking-lutely I was. Bravo. Thank you, JJ, for pointing out what is an obvious truth. Are there people who fear Michael Jordan? Yes. Are there people who fear LeBron James? Yes. But don't kid yourself. There's no tangible difference between the fear of LeBron James and the fear of Michael Jordan. Some people have it, some people don't. And the same held true in the 90s as it does now. The difference is we hear everybody's disrespect for LeBron, whereas we as a public were exposed to far less of that with Michael Jordan because everybody didn't have a voice. There weren't people online 24 hours a day, 365, telling you why LeBron shouldn't be respected or why he shouldn't be feared. That didn't exist with Michael Jordan. All we got was the prepackaged NBC highlight reels and the interviews with Ahmad Rashad where Michael Jordan was just sucked off 24/7 or protected because whatever benefited him benefited the ratings, the viewership, and the money made by the NBA. So why the hell would anybody tear him down back then? Physically, LeBron is far scarier than Michael Jordan ever would be because he's a giant human being. The idea that people feared Michael Jordan, they didn't fear Michael Jordan. They feared the platform of Michael Jordan. Isaiah Thomas criticized Michael Jordan, and he found himself off the dream team. If you weren't on Michael Jordan's side, you weren't getting shoe deals, you weren't getting commercials, you certainly weren't getting any type of platform because it didn't exist pre-internet social media era the way it does now. Now if somebody wants to criticize LeBron and vocally tear him down, they'll profit from it. There are entire industries that exist off tearing down greatness that did not exist then. During Michael Jordan's heyday, the league made more money by building him up and protecting him. It was in everybody's interest to put him on a platform separate from everyone else. And at this point, some of these journalists actually believe 
that that translates over to physical fear. They're not even remotely related. Don't conflate fear with the complete lack of respect everybody has for everyone now. LeBron has grown up in a completely different world that existed in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. There was no first take in the 90s. Could you imagine in the New York Knicks series, LeBron, LeBron or MJ going to Atlantic City the day before the game and coming home at 2 a.m.? Social media, this show, that's all you would talk about for days. No. For days. No. Yes. Yes. In fact, Stephen A. has made money off of doing just that. Just disrespect people and cash those checks. It's fine. That's why it's different. It has nothing to do with the personalities involved. It has everything to do with the society that we live in right now. For now, that's the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt. Thank you for listening. The voice of Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Follow me on social media at Fear the Fro pod. And please, if you have the time, subscribe, like the podcast. Maybe leave us a rating or don't. See, I did it again. I said, leave us as if there's more than one person. Leave me a rating. You can tell me how I am as a human being, what kind of job my parents did, etc., etc. And if you want to email the program, if there's stuff you want to hear discussed or people you want to hear from, because I will bring other people onto this podcast. I just have not really done it yet because I like to tape it in the aftermath of the games when I'm riding a high. But Bob at FroPod.com. I will be back with another episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you for listening. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.